Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda, Danny Abdeljabar. What's up, man? How are you? Chilling, man. As per usual, how about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I guess we'll just address the elephant in the room immediately um, because I don't think anyone can really stop talking about the debates that that uh, transpired a couple days ago we actually watched those together yep yep we uh broke social distance laws and uh sat down on a couch about six feet apart and drank some beers and reveled in the awesomeness that was that (laughs) performance (laughs) yeah well it sure was something it was um it it was something (laughs) (laughs) it was something something very interesting it was indeed an incredibly interesting moment in American history. Um, if you just look back at past debates and compare, you know, going back to like um, Gore and Bush or just any other fucking presidency, man, debates have changed a lot. Mm-hmm. 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 Now they're just shit shows. I think now, they can hardly be called a debate. Yeah, I wouldn't. I couldn't. I don't think that really could be called a debate it was more of just like an argument <laughs> like <laughs> two old men like a, yelling a, at ar- each other <laughs> two old men arguing each other over a fucking like debt or something like that's what it sounded like you owed me money since 1974 <laughs> <laughs> with like with like one other Ridiot. old guy instigating the fight in the background <laughs> what mike wallace now nah, yeah, <laughs> chris I, wallace I thought, or chris wallace yeah. chris wallace well, mike yeah. wallace's father um, Chris Wallace did a terrible job. That was he wasn't moderating. He was just like moderating there of all time. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's funny too is because like it's something that you and I talked about before the sh- the the um, thing, and then like I, I for the most part agreed at out of the number of moderators that we've seen, Chris Wallace is one of the better ones uh, for normal debates. But this was not a normal debate. Uh, he did a really really fucking poor job um, in general, but. I was happy that he didn't totally, you know, toe the Fox News line and he did call out Trump for interrupting too many do, times. Do you know who Chris Walls so. is? He's a he's a life a lifelong Democrat. He's very establishment. He's I know, but he's gonna, employed by Fox News. So he's, he's like, employed by Fox. He who holds the gold that, makes the rules. I think you know? I think people on the left have this like because of Tucker Carlson and uh, Sean Hannity and Lauren oh no no Grimm. it's exclusively because of Hannity and and before Hannity it was uh, Bill O'Reilly. O'Reilly. So O'Reilly. There was good. There's good reason to believe that but, Fox News is fucked up. But prior so. <laughs> prior to it, if you take those personalities outside of Fox, then Fox is pretty just run of the mill type of establishment news during the mm-hmm. daytime, 
It's, mm. a, it's just their their that uh, Fox and Friends personality. Very good either. They're oh yeah, no, don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, they're I don't consider them journalists, much like I don't consider fucking Rachel Maddow or any of the other you know Lawrence O'Donnell types on MSNBC. I hear the hammering. Yeah, Stop like the <laughs> Stop the hammering. No, like I hold them all to the same, you know, disregard. Um, but uh you know, at at the very least, you know, you have to understand where their leanings are and where their corporate overlords decide that they're gonna pull the the programming. Um and uh I was a little bit worried to bring it back to Chris Wallace that that he was just gonna let him do whatever he wanted, uh, because pretty much right off off the bat from jump, you know, Trump was already, you know being annoying um and like talking over biden and talking over fucking chris wallace the moderator which is super weird um it was just like childish and disrespectful and and just annoying honestly because you couldn't really hear what was going on um and i thought he was just gonna let him do it and halfway through he actually finally got the balls to say something um obviously it didn't make a difference um but i was i was like really interested because i saw on reddit today just like how many times did they interrupt each other and it was the the most reliable source i saw was 128 times uh trump um uh cut into biden's time um and the most reliable source i saw for biden was uh 33 uh and you know obviously there's a big disparity between those two numbers um but I think it's something like every two and a half minutes, Trump was saying something, which in over a 90 minute uh, uh, time scale is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was nuts. It it was not only just annoying to listen to at times because of all of the interruptions, but it was also like grossly just incorrect. Like every, there was falsehoods being said, frankly, on both sides, um, a little more on Trump's side, to be honest, but they were both lying a lot and they were also just yelling at each other a lot so i don't think anyone's any smarter for it i don't think anyone who was undecided now has a more firm uh understanding of who they want to vote for and i don't think they changed anybody's minds either what do you think mr madison what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things (laughs) i have ever heard (laughs) no point in your rambling (laughs) incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? <laughs> I award you no points. <laughs> May God have mercy on your soul. Um, I guess my my initial take on this, and I, I hate playing, I hate playing like um like uh you know um this this game of like analyzing the fucking debate, you know. Because everyone is like, oh, I'm going to analyze the debate. But I guess we're kind of forced to do it since we have a show. But (laughs) um, I don't know. I felt like it was just kind of like a trench warfare. We were talking about this after the show. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone really changed their minds. I don't really think this really pushed a narrative uh, out there. Um, Both sides got their talking points out that they wanted to push out. Both sides have their media... uh, backers uh pushing those narratives um i think that overall i think it ended up being a win for joe biden mainly because the bar that was set for joe biden was so low (laughs) it was it was to the point where i think a lot of um people on the right were expecting him to crap his pants and drool um (laughs) yeah and and not 
be able to mentally or physically make it out of the debate without mm-hmm. having a catastrophic meltdown. Yeah. He didn't have a catastrophic meltdown. He, I mean, he seemed just as fine as he did in his other debates, which weren't good, but it just wasn't to the point where it wasn't like a plane crash. Yeah, I mean, he, so wasn't, he wasn't dying. Honestly. He passed like, that low bar, and <laughs> yeah. it immediately, it, it immediately um, um, had him pass. He passed all those expectations. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing with with Trump, um, I think he may have turned off a demographic that he may need, and I think that's white suburban uh, women might be turned off by uh how kind of uh vicious some of his attacks were especially towards the end on the, the hunter biden stuff i i mean i am fine with criticizing hunter biden for the for the nepotism and all the corrupt shady stuff i think it's warranted but when i went to the drug stuff um i think biden actually handled that pretty well when his yep. response about saying yeah he had a drug problem and he conquered it um but other than that, just stupid uh, from both sides. Um, I wasn't. I, I'm glad this debate happened because you can kind of just unmask our political system and look at it as the absurd system that it really is. Yep. Um, instead of having like these presentable um, kind of messengers of, of both sides speaking in a respectful manner, like this is just. This is the government. It's an ugly system, and it just takes these kind of ugly personalities to get that in the head of people. So in that way, I think you could look at it as a successful endeavor that took place. That's a dark. No one will ever look at the (laughs) federal government in the same esteem that they used to, and I think that's a very good thing for the future of America. (laughs) I mean, this is crazy because that's my share. This is enshrined in history. Well, well presidential. Well, I want my president. He's not presidential. Dude, <laughs> this is this is a piece care. of history now. You know, for better or for worse, this is like you know uh, there there are a lot of debates that you know when presidential historians look at you know uh, uh, how the presidents did, they look at their debates, and especially the te- since we started televising them. This one, man, this one's going to go down as one of the more interesting ones for sure. It's definitely going to go down as, as uh, some of the more interesting things. I'm trying to think of advantages that Trump could theoretically have from this debate. Um, well, I mean, the obvious ones, the ones where, you know, I'm already hearing the talking points about like, oh, Trump won because he beat up on Biden and Biden yeah, was not strong that. enough that, you know, he couldn't get a word in edgewise, you know? That seems to be the main narrative that yeah. Trump just bullied his beta ass like that's an, like yeah, the, the, like, the narrative like a, is coming out like what an alpha ben what shapiro al- alpha. rex liberal biden you know like well, one ben of like Shapiro's it's fucking not, ben no, shapiro know, was I'm complaining about it too um see but i don't revere see i'm looking at it in like a cynical way where i'm just mm-hmm. like well this is government <laughs> like, this, <laughs> like why don't we just have i love looking at governments outside the country like in Turkey, when there was that big brawl in, parl- in their parliament, they literally had a fist fight. They yeah. literally had a huge fist fight over. Um, what were they fighting over? They were fighting over um, Idlib, uh, mm-hmm. having troops in there and like escalating tensions with Russia. There, no, it wasn't in Idlib. It was in Egypt that they were fighting over. I forget mm-hmm. because they're in Turkey, as we'll probably talk later today, is involved in so many other countries that's not inside their borders. Right. Um, but they <laughs> were having a fist fight. And I kind of like 
those moments where people can collectively look at um, look at government and be like, this is uh, really dumb. And uh, there are really dumb people who are involved in the system. I'm kind of a Ron Swanson in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I'm, I'm looking at it in the Ron Swanson light. light. I mean, um, looking at these situations, it really makes me, you know, kind of um, give more credit to Ronald Reagan when he said that government, you know, isn't the solution. It is. It's the problem. Of course, that line will also come up in today's uh, debate, um, not debate, but uh, episode for different reasons. But, um, you know, it, it, it definitely it sounds like he, he was onto something. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a scenario of where Trump came comes out ahead on this. I can't really think of one. But then again, I couldn't think of a scenario that he was going to win the election and he did win. Right. So there could very well be like a lot of people who are like, you know what? I think honestly what's going to end up happening is is um, the response – what will invigorate his base to actually vote will be the response from the media's response to the debate. Like Republicans and conservatives yep. or people on the on the right will see the media's coverage of it. And and even if they were uh, like, what the fuck is this debate? This is an unmitigated disaster. Um, what is Trump saying right now? They're going to look at the media's coverage. They're going to be like, ah, fuck the media. I'm back with Trump. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, it's possible. For, I think yeah. that's like the what uh if you're on the right what you're probably looking for but otherwise um yeah i don't really have anything else to say about it other than it was a uh basically a a uh a complete ridiculous event yeah and you know i, I don't even you know you, you could probably go find a thousand other shows that will go into extreme detail about every single line that was said and every you know Every interruption, every lie, every every little bit of information from it. This isn't going to be that kind of show. Like we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about some, you know, uh, some different stuff, but that's related, you know, for presidential politics, and and that's the uh, the October surprise, which I'm sure many people have heard the phrase before, but probably not a whole lot of people understand where it comes from. Um, so yeah, that's that's gonna be the topic for today. We're gonna we're gonna leave this debate. Alone. Everyone is talking about the October surprise. What's gonna be the October surprise? Right. Um, I guess if, if you're not familiar with the term, I'm sure most of you are. It's it's um it was coined by William Casey, Ronald Reagan's campaign manager in the 1980s. Um, he was also the CIA director, and it's basically an unlikely event that is that is um timed to influence an election so everyone was saying that ruth bader ginsburg was kind of like the early october surprise mm -hmm. the fact that she passed away and um everyone's kind of like searching and, and looking for you know what is going to be that major breaking news uh news event that's going to persuade voters to either vote for trump or vote for biden um some are already saying that the tax relief stuff will be that I don't really think it is. Um, I, honestly, I think at this point, our news cycle is moving so quickly that things are, are absorbed and forgotten. In a matter of seconds. In a matter of seconds. So <laughs> yeah. it's really hard to have something stick for that yeah. long. Well, so um, what, what, were, what were like some examples that stuck? Like what were some October surprises that actually like 
I don't know. It's hard to tell what stuck because, I mean, we don't really. I don't. I've never looked at like the polling data and stuff like that. Of, <laughs> Which, of as things. we know from 2016, can be skewed. But I. But I mean, there are polling. There are there are legitimate studies on these things, and I mean, I've I've I was a political science major in college, and what made me. Um, hate that major was doing that type of like work like the oh the polling data oh um the the bin laden videos in 2004 so when bush's when he was running for re-election there was like a bin laden video that came out where he was like death to america i did 9 11 mm-hmm. and everyone's like oh bush we need you bush save us Save us from the yeah, that's why bearded to, man they, in the cave. <laughs> yeah, save us from that bearded bad man in the cave. Yeah. Um, so I think that was like the, I think that was something that people would consider an October surprise. Um, there was the market crash in, in 2008 mm-hmm. when McCain was running. Um, then there was, I mean, I don't think that what, that shouldn't have been an unlikely event, you know, that that's just the crash that was due to happen. Um, right. But I think what it did was probably um, put the thought in a lot of American voters that, you know, Republican um, yeah. policy wasn't good for the economy. Well, I think Obama was going to win that no matter what. Yeah, but it, um, I, I, I think it definitely helped at then, least some people. Yeah, probably. Then there was the, um, I guess recent examples would be the grab by the pussy thing. Yeah, the that tapes. didn't really pan out too well, though, that did really, it? <laughs> that didn't really that didn't really stick. No. Um, but then there was James, Co- uh, James Comey's letter to Congress mm-hmm. that he would investigate uh, more emails from Hillary Clinton's uh, private server. See that and one that probably happened, that had happened, an impact. <laughs> that, that may one. have had an impact, a, bit, yeah. a bigger impact than than other, and uh, than uh, well, definitely than the P tapes. Not the P tapes. I'm getting things. There's so many. There's so many, tapes. There's so many stupid fucking scandals with with. Trump but here's okay. Yeah, you're right. And and here's the thing about it. It's that it's not that they're all stupid scandals. They're all scandals in and of themselves. It's just the way that the media and specifically like the left are trying to put these issues, some of them very legitimate, in the fore, makes it like they're reaching for something to be the October surprise, but they've just been doing it for the last four years, right? And so, you know, no matter what you look at, whether it's, you know, the grabbing by the pussy, whether it's, you know, um, uh, uh, fucking the Ukrainian tapes, whether it's the PP tapes, you know, the, the very perfect call, I mean, you name it, there's always been something that by itself is probably legitimate enough to like raise some eyebrows, but the way that, you know, the Democrats and, and parts of the media are spinning it, make it feel like, oh, this is it. This is the nail yeah. in Trump's coffin. Like this is, this is the October surprise. But the funny part about- We got him. Octo- <laughs> we got him. Uh, the funny part about the October surprise, however, is not that the surprise- worked it's that the surprise didn't work and that's kind of part of the history of it well something here's the one thing i was going to say that trump i said correctly in that debate when they asked him about transitioning power he said there was never a power transition and i think he was there is 
that was really interesting that he said it that way. Like there was never a peaceful transition of power. Like look what happened to me. Like the the entire establishment was out to get me. And then there was, I had enemies in the intelligence agencies. As soon as I became president, like what, what peaceful transition? Like there was a ridiculous scandal about me colluding with Russia to, uh, to win the election. And even those tax returns that just came out, that was supposed to, uh, be an October surprise, um, had uh, stated that there was no evidence that Trump had any business dealings with, with Russia, uh, besides like that dumb Moscow thing uh, with like the, the, not Victoria's Secrets, the uh, Miss Universe thing. Um, so I understand his point. Like there really wasn't a transition of power from the establishment into, into his hands. Well, I mean, I hear that point, but uh, I think the questions are framed differently. Um, what he's saying, you know, oh, he was bullied by the media and like he made some enemies in the fucking CIA. Like nobody. I think what what the question is framed around is whether or not he will leave office. And and I think he's conflating him getting bullied by the media with a more grievous issue, which would be him not leaving office. So while I, I somewhat agree with what you said, I think generally speaking, he's trying to downplay one thing, his thing, uh, and upplay another or like equalize them in a way that I don't think makes sense. Um, well, let's let's get into like some some ones in the past, because I'm sure we can sure. debate on this and stick on this for hours. For sure. um, let's go back. I want to start out with some. I think what's interesting is when there's actually when there's like a there's high evidence of like treason that's involved in these, <laughs> yeah. in these cases that yeah. influence elections. Mm -hmm. And if you look back in history, man, there are some shady things that have gone on with presidential elections. Oh yeah. And one that grabs your immediate attention is by the pussy. It, hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> this is not the locker room at the lacrosse <laughs> game. Um, Coming to one, you live from the locker room. The lock so one example back in um, the '60s was the was the Nixon and Hubert Humphreys election in 1968. So back then there was a war going on in Vietnam, which was a complete disaster. Uh, by 1968, I think approximately 30,000 soldiers have already been killed, not to mention all the countless people in um, Indochina, you know, in that in the Southeast Asia, in Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. Um, Johnson was trying to pull out of the war at that point, to, uh, and he was trying to help the the election of his VP, uh, his mm -hmm. VP. Hubert Humphreys. Uh, meanwhile, and this is according to Seymour Hirsch, who's one of the great investigative journalists of all time. Um, Henry Kissinger, who was an advisor to Johnson's Vietnam peace talks, apparently he had told, or alleged, according to Seymour Hirsch, he had told Nixon's team that things were going well with the negotiations. To, to pull to pull out of South Vietnam, and 
this prompted the Nixon campaign to establish this secret channel to the South Vietnamese through this through this fundraiser named um, Anna Chenault, who was I think she was the widow of um, this really famous aviator who had who had uh, worked with Chinese pilots uh, during World War II. Um, and she had become like a really big prominent fundraiser on, in the Republican Party uh, during the seven, like during the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. So she actually acted as a conduit for urging the South Vietnamese to resist Johnson's peace deal, and she basically said that you'll get a better deal under Nixon, which so is nuts. What like... ended up happening is that South Vietnam and they boycotted the peace talks, and the deal completely just unraveled. Right, and when you look at it in that in that time period in that frame, this is 1968. 1968's the bloodiest year of the Vietnam War. The second bloodiest year is 69, and then the war kind of gradually dies. Doesn't gradually, but it, the casualty figures go down from from 1969 on until we eventually pull out. But in total, about twenty thousand more soldiers, died, U.S. soldiers died. Yep. Not and to yet, mention the millions of people in, in, yeah, in Vietnam to, and and the yeah. area. Yeah. Not to mention the secret bombings in Cambodia and Laos right. and all this, these really big atrocities that were going on in that area of the world. Um, and apparently Johnson had known this because he had been spying on the Nixon campaign. <laughs> and there is this, there is um, when. Johnson's presidential library released, um, they released audio tapes of him talking about uh, what he had called the Nixon treason. So, there, I mean, there seems that, obviously, I can't confirm this with absolute, con- you know, with with 100% certainty, with what 100% certainty, but I don't know, it seems, it seems like this is actually something that happened. Um, I mean... It seems likely uh, a lot of the ancillary like stuff that we've researched on this time period, like um, suggests the same. And I know that uh, some some of the stuff with uh, poor um, poor Carter later on, you know, uh, also suggests the same. So I don't know. I, I think I think it might be might be real. I think it's I I think it may be. What what makes me think that it's like this was an actual. Um, like collusion to prevent Johnson from pulling out of the war because I mean because Nixon it's hard to say these things being our age to be completely honest because um, you know we weren't born yet and it's hard to get an understanding of the time period when you didn't live through it but then there's like a generation above you has lived through it yeah don't you ever get that feeling it's like a weird a, a little bit but you know what i feel like all of us suffer from it you know we're in this these times now and we can only speculate based on the information that we get now granted we get a lot more information and a lot quicker than you know the generations back during the um uh you know the nixon administration as an example during the johnson administration but you know they still had to rely on that journalism as well. Like they still had to rely on hearing it from somebody else. Uh, at least at the time, they had respected journalists, um, which I'm sure we're going to cover uh, a bit later. But you know, 
we only know as much as was what was written down and as as much as what was uh, uh, investigated by journalists. So, you know, I think we today sitting here now with the internet and the ability to do this research and look at pretty much every book and every, you know, article that's ever been written ever, we probably have just as much, you know, capacity to understand the events that happened then as, if not more than people who were growing up in that time, because all they had access to was whatever newspaper got sent to their house or whatever TV station was happen happened to be broadcasting during that time. I think we're probably in a better position to understand it. That's an interesting point, but it's like, it's hard to feel. I don't know if someone's going to be able to feel like the way, you know, 2020 who's investigating <laughs> from like 2040. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. So I like, hear oh, that. It's like you have to live through it to understand. You, yeah, no. you, under, you have to understand, like when it comes to an election, you have to like be in, uh, immersed in the culture to like understand what what um what the stakes were what the, what the stakes were or was. what the yeah, narratives no. were yeah. from both factions the zeitgeist were, if you will you know yeah well what were the two what were the narratives like it's hard for me to talk about like elections that take place in other countries especially in the <laughs> middle east yeah um and i'm like reluctant to talk about them because i'm like i don't know what the fuck is going on in the ground there like when we talk about elections in in um, in Syria, or when we were talking about like the elections in Belarus that were most likely completely phony, ninety percent or whatever, yeah, ninety percent <laughs> elections. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can always point that out, like in the case of Yemen, when Hadi was the only person on the ballot. Yeah, and he still only got ninety <laughs> percent. Like on the ballot, and illegitimate yeah. Hillary Clinton's like, this was a period of democracy. <laughs> yeah, there's one person on the ballot. Um, yeah, that's not democracy. That is a, that is a, I don't know what that is. That's a something, Chrissy. Ludicrousy. That, that, that is not a election. If there's only <laughs> one name on ballot, um, yeah. So you can say, yeah, that is obviously a fraud, and uh, look at and look at that. But in other cases, like it's, it's it's difficult to like judge like the real opposition and the fake opposition because there's plenty of those. There's there's plenty mm-hmm. of real opposition and there's plenty of fake opposition too. Yeah, and all the and all this, all these different crises, and all these different countries, and all these uh, kind of color revolutions that take place. But um, in the case of like the U in this, it's like it's kind of weird to to read back and like, man, was this just? Am I just reading this through the lens, or am I looking at this through the lens of just one massive like conspiracy to right. to for, of power? Is that the only way I'm looking right. at this? Right. That's what. That's like the feeling I get when I. Is this the, doing, the fake like, news of the day? You know, like you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, sometimes I have to like step back and think about it. Like, wait, is this, is this like the then fake news, or what's the political bent of the person that wrote this? You know, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. 
On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, but maybe that's just a product of our time now, you know, as one of our viewers uh, right now points out, you know, he, then there's probably more neutral and l less biased, um, you know, uh, reporting than there is now, but kind of like a product of, of living through this time period that we're living in kind of makes us very skeptical of literally everyone and everything that comes across our desk because we kind of have to be, you know? Well, now we have a period of like back in like the 70s and 60s and 70s, there were way better journalists. Like mm -hmm. even now, like the best journalists are like the in old their guys. 70s. Yeah. Like they're like <laughs> yeah. in their 70s. Yeah. Like Gareth Porter, who's like 78 or so or mm -hmm. so. Um, he was a product of the Vietnam War. Um, then you guys you have guys like um, Robert Perry, um, who had who passed away in the 60s a couple of years ago who we looked who at for was this a product of like a lot of the things that were going on in the 80s with iran contra mm -hmm. um but you have like a lot of even the washington post was was doing you know they released the pentagon papers and and uh were doing real whistleblowing but at some point a lot of that stopped and now it's just now it's just complete like narrative control at all times like there's no journalism it's just narrative control like something like even even as we speak right now narrative control is going on on twitter that's why it's like so hard to even be on on twitter you just get bombarded with just fucking propaganda at all times like you need to think this way all right, all right this 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 news came out all right this is what you have to think about it and the funny thing is, is that now they have like robots that do it like ai that does it it's not even like human beings anymore it's just like now they can just literally make a machine do it for us yeah you can literally just um there, there's algorithms to control narratives at this point um so it's weird so i think i think in those terms yeah i think i think there was a better chance for like actual uh like journalism to take place back in back in those days but a lot of it now days, is, is a system is the, is the monetary system behind um how these websites yeah. work like it's all it's fucking clickbait like yeah it's it's i'm gonna sound like a, a leftist right here but <laughs> i think it's like a good term for like it's just um it's um it's click it's um what's the fucking why i just click capitalism clickitalism what do you call when something's very clickable? Clickbaity. Clickbait. Clickbait capitalism. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that escaped me. Um, but yeah, like people, when you write an article, when we make a bro history podcast and we release it, we're trying to think of a title that like will make one people want to listen to the podcast. Right. You know what I mean? It's just part of releasing content. It's part of the game. A lot of just that's how a lot of. Um, I mean that's how websites are designed to make money. The more you, mm -hmm. if you don't click on the link, then it, you don't get paid from your advertisers. Right. But I mean, I mean, it's just like same game, different like format, really. Though we've got a really interesting system now. But like back in the day, there was still, you know, capital that was behind a lot of these reportings. It just wasn't as overt and 
as annoying as it is now or as constant as it is now and at least oh go ahead no i was just gonna say it, it like it had its fair share of problems too and i think what what we found out doing research on these october surprises was that there were plenty of opportunities for you know real journalism or real you know um kind of investigations to open the eyes of the american public and you know some of these publications either willfully turned a blind eye to it or you know just were dumb <laughs> you know and uh and a lot of these things like you use the word treason before some of it really comes off to me as treason yeah so another really big case of this is the reagan carter election yep i actually so, felt so bad about carter like reading that one particular article it was kind of made me upset man it felt like he he was damned if he did and damned if he didn't i feel like so what we're talking about is um so the end of carter's presidency was plagued by a very um pretty much a a disastrous thing foreign policy wise that happened Mm -hmm. to him and that was the iranian revolution right and um what made matters a lot worse is that he was put in a really i guess he he was put in a pretty bad situation at with the iranian revolution um the shah of iran had to leave the country he had cancer and he was about to be deposed there was a coup that was taking place and the shah had a very close had a very close relationship with the united states since 1990 since 1953 since the the original well since the 1953 iranian coup d'etat when you know the old boys of the cia basically um over completely overthrew that government by subverting like protests and paying them to break shit in the name of their president's name um those 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 old boys um were actually huge critics of of carter and when the shah left iran his twin sister went to go plead with with um david rockefeller Mm mm-hmm who was the chairman of of Chase Bank? Yep, and she was like, "Hey, like, my brother is gonna die. Please take him into, please convince Jimmy Carter, or get into his ear and say that like he can come into the country because Didn't Jimmy he have, Carter he only had like a week, right? Like he got put on a week's notice to leave the country that he was in asylum in. Was it was it uh, Morocco?" It at was the time Mor- it was morocco mm-hmm. so she was like please get into the year of, of carter uh, using your connections to to help him get into the country and carter didn't want to give him carter wanted to avoid this because he thought that if he let the shaw into the u.s then that would lead to um a attack on the u.s embassy in iran because right. this was before this the the Iranian hostage crisis happened about a year or so after the revolution actually took place right. like it happened the Iranian revolution took it was 1978 um beginning of 1978 and then it ended in the it lasted about a year 
Mm-hmm. And then the Shaw had to leave Iran in 1970, in the very beginning of 1979. And he went to what? Egypt first and, Khamenei, then, and then to um He went Morocco. to Egypt and then Morocco. Mm-hmm. And then after he had left, um, Ayatollah Khamenei came on the very first day of February on 1979. Right. Um, so the, the actual hostage crisis when those students took over the embassy... That hap- I think that happened later, like late 1979, like yeah, around, I don't like November, November, either. November of 1979 is when there that that hostage crisis took place. It, you know what? I, it might have been November because I remember reading that there was like a 365 day clock, like countdown clock, as soon as that happened. Yeah, for the election to like boot out um, and and bring in uh, the next president. So um, yeah, you're you're totally totally right there so Um, but by many accounts though that the hostage situation kind of happened accidentally yeah so what happened was that the student group that went to go um that that um scored the the u.s embassy there right this was an attempt to find evidence of the 1953 coup. Right. Meddling. The... They were looking for evidence mm-hmm. that showed that the CIA had been actively looking to overthrow uh, Mossadegh and place them with the Shah. Right. And they kind of ran into, they, they kind of like ran into the hostage crisis. Um, right. Apparently they just like, they brought wire cutters with them. They cut down the fence. They went inside and they were like met almost oppositionless. And when they finally got in there, they're like, they see all these Americans. Some of them are running. They chase them down. They capture them. Uh, and then the Marines, uh, apparently they didn't use deadly force uh, because they wanted to, to prevent bloodshed, um, which was, on the one hand, you know, um, really, uh, you know, com- commendable. Uh, but on the other hand, resulted in, you know, the, the, the fact that those um, Americans became hostages in the first place. And uh, they were throwing tear gas at them, and obviously that didn't really stop them. Uh, tear gas really not super effective. You can throw it back. Um, but yeah, uh, they they never in the they never intended to. It was just a bunch of students, a bunch of kids by all account. Uh, I think there was like this one Mossad agent that um, was working with uh, uh, the U.S. government there, and, and had produced a list of all of the people uh, who was involved in the hostage situation, and like the majority of them were straight up kids like school kids they never intended to to set up a hostage situation but that's just what they fell into when they tried to storm the u.s embassy yeah well but going back because i kind of skipped this part of the story so mm-hmm. rockefeller did have one of his intermediaries like like uh he i think he, he handed like a, a one like a memo to carter uh, with like with grievances about not letting the shawl in, and then Carter let the shawl in for humanitarian reasons. You know, right? He, he went said. he went down to the Bahamas or some shit. Or was it was it Mexico? He ended up in the yeah. it was Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so he so when Carter, um, so they they let the shawl in. I'm not sure if that's exactly what triggered the Iranian the 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 hostage crisis, but then. Well, the reason why they let him in was because he was having terminal cancer and he needed treatment, right? And um, 
when they brought him in, they brought him into New York and they uh, admitted him. I forget the, the name of the hospital, but they they called him David Newsom, which was uh, one of the uh, um, uh, one of the Carter administration's um, uh, uh, people. Uh, so they named him after him, which was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, that that's the reason why I brought him in because you know, dude needed some you know medical attention, and you know, Jimmy Carter kind of caved. He's a little too empathetic in that respect. Well, Jimmy Carter made a series of really big blunders. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really mind take, probably taking the Shaw and kind of revealed the hand that there that Shaw wasn't was an actual puppet. But I mean, I think everyone actually knew that at that time. Right. That the Shaw was a U a U.S. puppet. They were having minor like oil disputes in the seventies, but I think otherwise, I mean, the they were getting F fourteens, man. F fours. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were getting they were getting everything except the bomb. Like the only thing that the Iranian military was not getting from the United States was was a nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the big reasons why there was a covert operation for the U.S. to supply arms to them during the Iran-Iraq wars because they needed spare parts for those weapons that they bought when the Shah was 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 on was on the peacock throne um because that i mean planes regularly need spare parts um but carter made a really big plan a a really big mistake when he tried to when there was essentially a failed attempt to rescue those hostages um oh this was good too long long story short a helicopter crash and oh no you're um, not doing it justice with the helicopter crash actually it was fucking interesting so i forget exactly who uh put up this idea but it was one of the folks on the republican side had said look we can send in some covert like assets from iran on the ground so iranian persian-speaking people are assets on the ground we're going to dress them up like military police and we're going to send them in to the you know embassy and we're going to say we're going to have them say hey you guys are doing a great job love what you're doing here but we're going to take over from here because we heard that there are some, you know, uh, U.S. forces coming in from outside of the city. So we're going to take all the hostages and we're going to spread them out all over the city. Good job. We got it from here. That was the plan that um, uh, and, and I'm having trouble pulling up the exact person's name. But one of the was Copeland. Copeland. Thank you. Uh, that was Copeland's plan. Right. And then afterwards, um this plan actually sounded pretty fucking good. Like the 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 idea was that they were gonna take the hostages, spread them out to the edges, the outskirts of Tehran, and then pick them up in in helicopters outside of the city limits, and then just bring them home. Right? Sounded pretty interesting. Like if they could have pulled that off, that would have been like an awesome movie plot. Um, but they didn't do that, and instead they opted for like Eagle One. I think was the name of the operation. Where, eagle claw eagle claw thank you where they were literally just gonna take several like attack helicopters and storm tehran and go right to the embassy and like pick up their guys and go but because of like some technical issues it forced a lot of those helicopters to uh return uh to base and then ultimately they ended up in a midair collision which uh you know lost the lives of uh, uh i think it was eight people died uh, eight uh, uh, servicemen died on that uh, in that situation. So 
yeah that was a crazy fucking story carter could totally took that like covert version and then afterwards the iranians did exactly what we were planning on like covertly doing they took everybody out of the embassy and they moved them to all different parts of the city and they they spread them out so that they're not in one place and then you know now we can't do that plan anymore and now like the 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 idea of like going in and rescuing them you know with force was like completely off the table because none of them are in the same place anymore it was the it, those were like the original CIA guys too like Miles Copeland Miles Copeland and current uh in um Kermit Roosevelt like those Kermit guys yeah. mm-hmm. those were the guys who came up with that plan and I, and Kermit Roosevelt was out of the CIA at that time um well, the other the other Roosevelt well, Ar- Archibald you're never, out, you're never you're never out of the CIA <laughs> yeah. Ar- Archibald um, was involved too right Archibald Roosevelt yeah um they I mean that would have been the ideal plan right to covertly go in there I mean that's what they're trying to do right is to to find a way to deceive the enemy into letting you in so you can rescue the hostage. I mean, come on, haven't you seen the movie Argo? Or Black Hawk Down? <laughs> well, Argo, Argo was more of a covert no, no, thing. No, no. <laughs> Black Hawk Down was... It's more of like a, why like you shouldn't, use, he- why why shouldn't, you shouldn't use, use helicopters <laughs> um, to save people. But that, that ended up being like a really big disaster for his for his re-election uh, for obvious reasons because it, it was a bad choice mm-hmm. um but at some point i get what the accusation is for i guess why where this ties into the october surprise is that um there is a um a pretty i think probably probable theory that the reagan camp had reached out to our to the Iranians and had met with them to um, to keep them to to facilitate or to keep the hostages in place uh, to not have them released until the Reagan presidency mm-hmm. uh, until in, unless Reagan won the presidency and and that's why Reagan um, that's why the hostages were released when Reagan was inaugurated on January twentieth. Of 1980, because they had they had already worked out a deal with the Iranians, and it was well, I guess that deal was very well known. Like the day that he was inaugurated, then those hostages would be released, and I think Carter, there was a clock like every single day, like day day one of the hostage crisis, day 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 54 of the hostage crisis, right. day like there was a literal clock. Like imagine if there was a, it would be just a disaster for any type for any campaign, um, and the way that connects to future events is that the U.S. was, at the U.S. and Israel were both um, sponsoring. I mean, this is where it gets confusing because the United States was sponsoring Iraq during during the iran iraq war but they were also covertly selling them spare parts for the planes mm-hmm. and then israel was i guess covertly but overtly supporting iran, iran. during mm-hmm. the iran iraq war i mean they were um collaborating with them during the, with military operations and destroying iraqi nuclear facilities <laughs> right at the very beginning of the war 
So it, it was, was just like this hodgepodge. Of, yeah. of, of, it was just a complete clusterfuck. It's just two of these insane events were going on at the same time. It, between the Iran-Iraq war along with the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, add the Contra thing to the mix. Contra scandal, yeah. The Contra scandals. Just these ridiculous situations that are going on. Um, it's just a mess. But I guess the incentive for the deal to work out, the work with... Um, with Iran. With Iran, or the deal why Iran would work with Reagan is because... I guess they had got the wink and the nod that they would be supplying them with with weapons. Uh, that they had to have somebody at least they had to have some type of a relationship with the United States um, for you know the to be to be supplemented with with these parts. Right. So same so same think, same situation out of the playbook for Nixon with you know um, the south vietnamese uh president right like the wink and the nod that we're gonna give you a better deal just like don't go along with whatever they're doing and then, so i yeah so this is from the former a former national security council uh gary sick and he wrote an op-ed in the new york times and this was pretty um this was like when this was released i think this was released in 19, 1992 this was a humongous deal and I'll just quote from this. So individuals associated with the Reagan-Bush campaign of 1980 met secretly with Iranian officials to delay the release of the American hostages until after the presidential election. For this favor, Iran was rewarded with a substantial, substantial supply of arms from Israel. In December 1979 and January 1980, Cyrus and, and Jamshid Hashemi, two brothers who had good contacts in Iranian revolutionary circles, approached the Carter administration seeking support for their candidate in the Iranian presidential elections. I met both of them briefly during that period. Although Washington was sympathetic, their appeal was overtaken by events. Their candidate lost, but they remained in contact with the U.S. government, providing useful information about developments in the hostage crisis. Cyrus died in 1986, only three months after his cooperation with the U.S. Customs Service in a dramatic sting operation that resulted in the arrest of several Americans, Israelis, and Europeans on charges of plotting illegal arms sales. Jamshid Hashemi, who was involved in international arms sales, was not implicated in that affair. I reestablished contact with Mr. Hashemi in March 1990 and interviewed him a number of times. According to Mr. Hashemi, William Casey, who had just become Reagan's campaign manager, met with him late February or early March 1980 at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington. I've actually heard this story about the Mayflower Hotel in other other reports. Um, Mr. Casey quickly made it clear that he wanted to prevent Jimmy Carter from gaining any political advantage from the hostage crisis, the Hashemis agreed to cooperate with Mr. Casey without the knowledge of the Carter administration. Mr. Hashemi told me that he and his brother helped to arrange two critical meetings in a Madrid hotel in July 1980. An important Iranian clerk, Mehdi Karubi, who is now Speaker of the Iranian Parliament, allegedly met with Mr. Casey in a U.S. intelligence offer who was operating outside authority. 
The same group met again several weeks later. Mr. Hashemi told me that Mr. Karubi agreed in the second Madrid meeting to cooperate with Reagan with the Reagan campaign about the timing of any hostage release. So I've heard about I've read about this mm-hmm. this Madrid uh, this Madrid meeting with the Mayflower Casey. Hotel yep, in Washington. Mm-hmm. In return, he was promised that the Reagan administration, once in office, would return Iran's frozen assets and help them acquire badly needed military equipment and spare parts. Two other sources subsequently described these meetings in very similar terms in interviews with me and my colleagues. The Carter administration had no knowledge of these meetings. At about the time of the second meeting in Madrid, according to two former Israeli intelligence officers I interviewed, individuals associated with the Reagan campaign made contact with senior government officials in Israel, which agreed to act as the channel for the arms deliveries to Iran that Mr. Casey had promised. Israel Israel had been eager to sell military equipment to Iran, but the Carter administration, which was maintaining a total arms embargo on Iran, had refused to agree. As a threat of war with Iraq began to mount in early September 1980, Iran opened direct hostage negotiations with the Carter administration. In retrospect, it appears that Iran may have been playing both sides, seeking the highest bids for the release of the hostages. The Carter administration, however, did not realize it was involved in a three-cornered bidding contest and resisted Iran's apparent interest in military equipment. The Iraqi invasion of Iran on September 22, 1980 added both urgency and confusion to the various negotiation tracks. Two former Reagan campaign aides told me that this generated new fears with the Reagan-Bush campaign that war pressures would lead Iran to release the hostages before Election Day, thereby improving President Carter's chances. Adding to the complexity, the Carter administration secretly had been developing plans for a possible second hostage rescue mission. Yeah, that would have sure. been a disaster. <laughs> After the failure of its earlier mission, Desert One, in April. It became operational in September 1980. Richard V. Allen, Ronald Reagan's first national security advisor and a member of his campaign, told me that one member of the rescue team contacted him and gave him a description of the second rescue plan. Shortly thereafter, the Reagan-Bush campaign launched a major publicity effort warning that President Carter might be planning an October surprise to obtain the release of the hostages prior to the election. Oof. This is, uh... So, so hold on. Before you continue. Now, we've got a situation where uh, the Reagan administration is working kind of covertly with, you know, elements inside the Iranian, um, uh, uh, uh country to get them to cooperate uh, on any hostage stuff so that it one doesn't benefit the carter administration and that two it benefits specifically the reagan administration the potential Reagan administration at least his election ability and on the other side we have carter trying to work out some uh plans to get the hostages and uh he comes up with the second um idea uh, to rescue the hostages, even though the first one failed fucking miserably, and the Reagan administration uses this as an as a kind of political weapon and saying like, "Oh, Carter is only trying to save the hostages so that he can get win re-election this year." Did I did, did I understand that story so far correctly? Yeah, yeah, and I think the CIA 
from from like firsthand uh, testimonies and accounts and interviews from them, I, I feel like the mentality was like, hey, listen, if you are a, if you're a diplomat and if you work in an embassy, you're kind of like a soldier in the army. Like you're knowingly taking the risk of like something terrible happening to right. you if you're going into a foreign country. Mm-hmm. Um, especially a, host- a potentially hostile one, right? Yeah, especially one that's in a hostile area in, of the world. active world war zone, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, from October 15th to October 20th, events came to a head in a series of meetings in several hotels in Paris involving members of the Reagan-Bush campaign and high-level Iranian and Israeli representatives. Accounts of these meetings and the exact numbers of participants vary considerably among the more than 15 sources who claim direct or indirect knowledge of some aspect of them. There is, however, widespread agreement on three points. William Casey was a key participant. The Iranian representatives agreed that the hostages would not be released prior to the presidential election on November 4th. In return, Israel would serve as a conduit for arms and spare parts to Iran. Mm-hmm. Doesn't this tie... Together. Ties really, really well with um, with uh, our previous episodes on on the Iran Iraq war, and also with Iran when we spoke up when we talked about Iran Contra. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately after the Paris meetings, things began to happen. On October twenty first, Iran public uh, publicly shifted its position in negotiations with the Carter administration, disclaiming any further interest in receiving military equipment. For my position at the NSC. I learned that Cyrus Hashemi and other Iranian arms dealers secretly had reported to State Department officials that Iran had decided to hold the hostages until after the elections. Between October 21st and October 23rd, Israel sent a plane hold of F-4 fighter aircraft tires to Iran in a contravention of the U.S. boycott Mm -hmm. and without informing Washington. Cyrus Hashemi, using his own contacts, began privately organizing military shipments to Iran. On October 22nd, the hostages were suddenly dispersed to different locations. In a series of delaying tactics in late October by the Iranian parliament uh, stymied all attempts by the Carter administration to act on the hostage question until only hours before Election Day. Excuse me. After the election, the lame duck Carter administration resumed hostage negotiations through Algerian intermediaries, but the talks stalled. On January 15th, Iran did an about-face offering a series of startling concessions that reignited the talks and resulted in a final agreement in the last few hours of Jimmy Carter's presidency. The hostages were released on, were on January 21st, 1981, minutes after Ronald Reagan was sworn in as president. That's fucking nuts, man. I don't think there's any more that we have to go through this. No, movie. no. Yeah. That, that is um, like... I mean, it's not like smoking gun, but like you, you can't deny that that's not a coincidence, you know, like the yeah. sheer timing of that, the about face that they make in late January, you know, to be like, oh no, yeah, let's, let's start talking again about this, uh, you know, this hostage situation. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious how, um, it's people are always use the word unprecedented mm-hmm. nowadays mm-hmm. like it's unprecedented this is this is completely unprecedented, unprecedented abuse this is power. unprecedented yeah I, I feel like it was precedented 
this 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 stuff is press pre- like extreme corruption is precedented <laughs> is precedent it is the precedent like it's always been going on there's always been terrible things that have been going on behind the scenes uh-huh. there's always been f- fucking everything all these people are doing things for machiavellian reasons mm-hmm. um well then i mean it begs the question here henry right so we're talking about an october surprise right and we talked about two major October surprises in the past. And I'll, I'll note, very importantly, that both of these October surprises were uh, allegedly perpetrated by um, Republicans. So when the left and the Democrats and the media get all up in arms about Trump and, like, you know, Russia or Ukraine or any of the, these other things, can you really blame them? I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. No, I, I well, no, yes, excuse me. Yes, I can absolutely blame them because they're the ones who are doing it now. Like they're the ones who are on the mantle of 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 making up, well, I can absolutely blame them because this Russia gate thing is so ridiculous and so silly mm-hmm. that foreign policy of Donald Trump doesn't even match up with the actual motives. Like what has Trump done for Russia? Like what is he do- like what he's, he's how has he cooperated with Vladimir Putin in any way? He's, like he's he just sanctions on Russia. Make any possible. He put sanctions on Russia. He's, he's, he's still other in Syria. Ones. Yeah, and he, he, he just took people off of he took specific oligarchs off of um off of sanctions. So like he's he's playing the game. He's do he's doing his thing. I I do not see there is no there's absolutely no evidence of this. There is no evidence of the, the crowd strike even came out, said there is no evidence of Russian collusion and the DNC hacking. So that's even a really big question. That's a huge question mark. I mean, to this day, man, I think that 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 those hacks, Russia didn't hack. I will I, I will die on this hill. I think that Seth Rich was murdered for for that stuff. And that was a reason how WikiLeaks got all uh, got that information from the DNC server. Um, but no, the U.S. is extremely still has an extremely hostile foreign policy towards Russia. Like it hasn't backed up. It has like overall as a country, as as it's the U.S. has not been playing ball with them. Mm-hmm. Like I I just do not get the Russian collusion story. I mean, but I on think record, that was a story that's kind of that, the Republican playbook, though. You know, it's that's like, not. But that's that, Trump is not the Republican exterior. Party. Trump huh? is not the Republican Party. Trump, I mean, does, Trump, Trump has a lot of establishment in his. Do you party. see what happened? The entire the Republican Party did when he was is, elected has capitulated to. So Certain peoples the, of the establishment have capitulated to him. Did John his, McCain capitulate to him? He died. No. He died. 
Okay. No, but John McCain <laughs> he's, was he's dead, dead set against him. John McCain was an establishment Republican. I don't know, man. There's a George lot. George Bush, did Bush family capitulate to him? How about Ted no. Cruz? How about... Ted Cruz, that's, Ted Cruz came into the Tea Party movement. Those are completely different. This All right, what about a, Mitch McConnell? What about Lindsey Graham? What about... Um... Some people Some people <laughs> are, and then Lindsey Graham is different on a lot of things. <laughs> uh, he goes Lindsey Graham is Syria, different on a lot of things. They're, I mean, Lindsey Graham's an insane me. person, but <laughs> the insane neoconservatives... I mean, yeah, John Bolton, granted. Yeah. Trump had to sell his soul to the devil to guys like uh, um, Sheldon Adelson yep. to, to have his Senate pushed in and have money donated. Right. But no, that Trump was not is not the same group as the Nixon group. And I don't know, but Bush he's being group. advised by the same and people. But he's being advised by the same people. So the, no, I think it's, I, I think it's I, naive. I, hold on, I hold highly on. doubt that. I, I think it's naive not... to think that, because, dude, a lot of the same establishment nonsense people who are involved in these situations and others like it were the ones that were advising his campaign and ultimately helping him and are in his administration or were at, at one point in his administration. I think it's a little bit naive to think that they wouldn't whisper ideas like these in his ear. Now, whether or not he committed them or not is up for debate. But I think it's totally fair to say this was the Republican playbook for like 30, 40 years, right? And... A lot of these elements are still kind of in the political sphere, and many of them ended up in the Trump campaign, or at least are surrounding themselves around the Trump campaign. And Trump does some shady shit. Trump Dude. does some shit that makes that makes people that makes you raise an eyebrow, right? It's just every, like, every whether or not it's illegal or not is, is irrelevant. It's just like why would you do that? Does so every, every, it raises some questions, and that's what I'm the, trying to get at. I th I totally think that it's possible that one of these. One of these, you know, neocons whispered some sweet nothings into Donald Trump's ear, and maybe he, maybe he pulled the trigger on some of them. Maybe he didn't. You know, I think it's totally fair to 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 be worried about it because this is this is an establishment neocon playbook. Well, that those those events took place before the neoconservative movements really took off, and. The, the Nixon move the, the Nixon that's a fair, thing. That's a fair point, were, but those that's that's how they that's how they developed, right? So like elements of the, the liberal the, the, party. The neoconservatives came from the Democratic that's Party. What, that's they exactly came, what I'm they trying came to get from at. Scoop Jackson that's who was exactly Democratic what I Cold War. They, they were they were right leaning Democrats and then they eventually They weren't right leaning, they were they, they were, were Trotskyists. They were absolutely they were intellectual they were former Trotskyist leftists who turned into who found the opportunity to to jump into the Republican power just for pure power purposes. They didn't really have a political ideology, but their actual ideology came from the trot they were Trotskyists. They were left they were left wing Trotskyists. What the and when you talk about like a Republican handbook, this is just a political handbook that's used on both sides. Like do you see all the corruption that came out of Bill Clinton and Hillary the Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton playbook? All the money they've took from Saudi Arabia, the money they took from Russian oligarchs, yeah, the money gonna, that I'm they not going to doubt that. Like, I won't doubt dude, that. They, is, they did some is, shady shit, especially to a, Bernie. You it know? is really yeah. difficult to I pinpoint that type of action. Yeah, the political, the Russian, Republican Party in the 70s and 80s was incredibly corrupt. They they sponsored covert evil wars. They did some really shady stuff with elections. Completely bad, but. This is something that is pretty status quo between every single major political party. And I think that 
to well, so um, then I think it's fair. Of, it's I think fair, it's, it's naive fair to, to, to hold... segment out the Republicans is like the problem. Right, fair enough. You know, the entire you're, you're, political you're right. I will. I will. You're right. I will concede to that. It's it's not fair to um, to uh, only point the finger at the Republicans. However. I think it is totally fair to point the finger at who holds the power currently, and that happens. You could point to be, the finger at Obama. At, that at happens Trump, to be, and I think it's very fair. Well, to it's not just Trump; Trump it's also pro- the, problems, the Republican Senate. You need and to go. Now the you Republican need to go, court. We we need to go back in, in reverse time and look at like the scandals that have taken place in every in every every presidential sure and we should uh, call them all out we should yeah absolutely we should call all of them out we can go we can go down the list of obama scandals and oh you know i'm not they're they're egregious i'm not not averse to that you're not not averse averse to that that, but obama covertly sponsored al-qaeda and isis in syria and libya right he destroyed countries destroyed syria he destroyed libya he Mm -hmm. took a functioning government the wealthiest country in africa and he destroyed it and he did it because of his because of pressure from people like Hillary Clinton and Susan Rice and just neoliberal hawks. They weren't neoconservatives. They were kind of weirdo neoliberals who believed in some type of weird humanitarian intervention type thing. Libya is destroyed, was a destroyed country that had open air slavery the years after this destruction. Right, it was right. A functioning society. But I, I don't want to. It's a ruined society. I'm, I'm not. I'm not Syria, saying any of that is wrong. I'm just saying covertly that sponsored. Obama's not the. Obama's not the president right now. He's not the president right now. But <laughs> we're talking about Trump today. Was, that was a universal. That was a universal thing that was, that was accepted in a democratic establishment to arm to arm, at, to. Knowingly, at least when the Reagan administration was arming Al Qaeda, or at least the big the the Mujahideen and kind of the thing that eventually morphed into Al Qaeda, right. when you know before Bin Laden Just and Zahar Howie merged with, right. their groups, before Islamic Jihad and the Bin Laden groups merged together, at least they weren't attacking Americans. They Obama, they were. Giving them money after all this terrible thing, all the all after nine eleven, after the Iraq War, when the majority of deaths from U.S. soldiers were done by I by Al Qaeda in Iraq, like they were sponsoring after all this stuff. So like you can't just pinpoint corruption on one political party. It's it's both one. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying and that our I think current political party. Our, we're talking about October surprises. It's October. We're about to be in an election, and our current political leadership happens to be Republican. So I think it's fair to now today criticize Republicans right now. It's fair. It's fair to criticize Republicans, but it's also fair to criticize Democrats too. Yeah. Like for I'm not saying that you can't. For, this, for, for the handling and for just everything that took place between Trump's election and, and now has been, has well, if you ask me, want... I think he's he's brought a, a number of of um, I think he's brought a number of things upon himself. He's brought. I'm sh- sure, man. I'm not. I'm not saying that Trump hasn't brought a lot of these things upon himself, but the whole fucking collusion circus was a disgrace. Like that, there is still no evidence. You have people like Adam Schiff speaking in certain in certain terms that there was an actual collusion between Russia and and Trump there was a whole fucking stupid investigation from Robert Mueller that 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 showed up zero evidence that there was any type of collusion well, this was a main well talking he said, point. He what, what, what evidence what evidence of he didn't say that no Robert Mueller wrote 
if there what did he say he said that if there was anything didn't even he's, have... well he literally he literally was saying i i can't indict I can't a not sitting, prove that i can't indict a sitting president and therefore i can't really say that he's done anything wrong because it wouldn't fucking matter you know i'm paraphrasing very loosely but he didn't he said if there was uh, exculpatory evidence that says that trump did nothing wrong i would say so i'm not saying that right now so he's he robert Mueller's investigation didn't come up bone dry it just came up fucking stalemate because there are precedents in our legal and judicial system that don't allow you to indict a sitting president so you can't pursue any of those leads in the ways that that i'm sure that robert Mueller would have loved to and that's that but what what leads like there's no there, there's no evidence there's nothing there's no like connection that anyone why would he, has ever, why would he like, write it made that way, that's though? reasonable i mean to be like oh yeah there was like an actual me- meeting in place where they were talking about fate like i mean uh, they were talking about conspiring for, together for, to win the election to give benefits save out like, there's nothing How many of like those, that save for flynn because we're we're on we're on debate for for the flynn one but like how the many Flynn of his... one it was the most egregious one. Right. I said save for Flynn, meaning excluding Flynn, how many other of his campaign aides and members ended up in jail or ended up indicted for wrongdoings during the campaign? It's not a coincidence. He, like I, he I, works I just, with some shady fucks. Like, like and he is I surrounded by this web of fucking nonsense. You know, it's there's like a saying that I'll butcher, but it says like, you know, if you smell shit here, it's like uh, dog shit on the floor but if you smell shit everywhere you go you smell like shit you know and it seems like everywhere trump goes he smells like shit and all i hear especially from the right is just this apology 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 diversion 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 and i'm like how many times do we have to see people ancillary to the trump campaign to not be like what fucked up shit do you actually think he's doing because there's a lot of shit. There's a lot. And I agree that the mainstream media really pumps up a lot of this shit to, to, to higher than what it needs to be. But there's so much shit. There's so much. So many things happen over the last four years. All of it can't be wrong. <laughs> like, literally, can't, all of it cannot be wrong. That's just... That's just hey, crazy. I, I am a fierce critic on things that I disagree with Trump. Listen, I we did entire podcast criticizing Trump on the Yemen veto. Mm-hmm. We have done entire podcast criticizing Trump on shady deals with Saudi Arabia. Right. I we have done entire podcast trading his basically uh, his relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu uh, through his son-in-law Jared Kushner and how ridiculous it is and um i am more than happy to criticize trump when things when there's warranted and i there there's there's plenty to go around i'm just saying the narratives that are coming from like msnbc don't even hit the mark like they're not even the right they're not even they don't they're they're baseless and the, I feel the reason why they are they resort to baseless claims is because if they were to criticize Trump on his relationship with Saudi Arabia or Benjamin Netanyahu and the nepotism that 
I mean, he is criticized for the Jared Kushner nepotism. Quite a bit, actually. If he were to be criticized, if he were to be criticized for real issues, that it would also indict other presidents as well. Like it would indict the same type of. It would indict Obama. It would indict, it would indict fucking George Bush. It so would indict I'm, I'm fine. The Clintons. I'm absolutely yeah. fine with criticizing Trump and uncovering investigation. If you disagree with his, I know that you on a on a on a domestic level just not you take away his scandals i know that you disagree with a lot of his policies sure. regarding like climates and, and change yeah, and i think he's well, wrong on a lot of domestic issues you think you think <laughs> he's wrong if you take that out and i'm saying it's fair to criticize him on that i think it's fair to to, to uh look at his actual the actual corruption cases but i some of these are just made up fantasies and they're made up fantasies to 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 push him out because of some policy goals that he wanted to pursue, specifically the Afghanistan pullout and the Syria pullout are the main one are the main ones that they stem from. If you look at Michael Flynn, like why was why was Michael Flynn's enemy was Barack Obama? Because they disagreed on Syria, and Michael Flynn, the the DIA, they're the ones who really first blew the whistle on this arming of of jihadists in Syria. Like there is, there is a. It's not a coincidence that he was that he that Flynn was kind of like the very the one of the first fall guys to go down because he was a political enemy of Barack Obama and that whole mess. Um, I don't know. I just think that the whole, the whole system is just a, is, that's what is going back to the debate like. I'm glad that people get to see the unmasked ugliness yeah. of all this stuff because yeah. it's just an ugly. It's just ugliness. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. You know, and and I think we we were sitting there on the same couch watching the same exact thing, and we had pretty much the same exact reactions to almost every response to every question. Most of it was bullshit. Most of it was pandering. A lot of it was incoherent. To be honest, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I I'm kind of happy that that we saw that just beautiful display of nonsense um because it does highlight how fucking stupid this system is and how stupid this two-party system is as a matter of fact i was reading today that uh joe jorgensen is apparently trending 13th uh since the debate on google that's searches. a big jump for her huge jump right not that i not that i give a shit about joe jorgensen or that i think she's a you know good you know uh, uh alternative but you know it just kind of i think highlights highlights the hunger in in this country for you know something else anything else literally anything else on both sides of the aisle like all of these options suck her the issue with her is that she's about as interesting as appealing as like a as a wet paper bag so well i mean the whole fucking party is that whole party is is about as interesting as a wet paper bag in my opinion um but you know i i think I haven't even given her any credit at all because it's not it's not viable in my opinion. She's not I've viable. never not on I'm, not on our current system. I'm, I'm I mean I'm pretty much a libertarian for most. I think most people would probably consider me a libertarian, um, mm-hmm. at least people who are not. Um, and I wouldn't touch the LP with a ten foot stick. Yeah, that's yeah. how it's that's it, how be, because it's different from, I am from like any party with and the libertarian party. Yeah, part, party <laughs> and ideology completely different. Like. I feel like they're they're not aligned at all. LP is just ran by a bunch of dorks. Yeah. Um. 
so you want to talk about the war in Armenia? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some something some lighter topics <laughs> to end yeah, the show. We kind of went off we went off in a little bit of a, a tangent there. It's okay. But um, hopefully you guys like the the back and forth. The back and forth. Um, so war on the war in Armenia. So um, if there wasn't a debate, we probably would have led with this story. So there is a um, there is so I'll try to take this back. Nagorno Karabakh, you know the most inter- you know I'm sure everyone knows very familiar with that place. <laughs> no, Nagorno Karabakh. Karabakh. It's a, it's a breakaway region in Azerbaijan. I, which is you just said a bunch a, of words that, like, just none of those, none of those. Nagorno Karabakh is all right. So, in the Caspian Sea, uh-huh. there's a big. It's a big fucking lake. Right, giant. It's a big. It's a giant. It's the world's biggest lake, and it's just smack right in in Central Asia, mm-hmm. and it's between. Um, it's right all south the, of all, all the Jeans and stands all and the Jean countries, right? And Russia is really close to that country too, right? So it's in the Russia world, the Soviet ex-Soviet world. Well, it turns out in that big lake, it's the world's biggest lake. If you look at a world map, there's a bunch of oil in there, lots of fucking oil. It's a lot of fucking oil in this big ass salt lake. And it's a very big interest for a lot of countries because of the pipelines that go from that big fucking lake in the oil that goes through multiple countries. And when the pipeline goes through these fucking countries and the oil passes through these countries, each country gets a tax on it. Right. Each country they makes money off that exactly. oil, off the pipelines. So Azerbaijan is the first country on that. Oh, so they get the biggest cut, the arguably. They get the biggest. They get right. a big, big cut, and that goes through Turkey. What is it like? Ten billion dollars a year, or something like that. They get. I think it was. I think it might be more, but it's just so we get the geography out of the way. Right. Um, it's in now, Azerbaijan. Azer Azerbaijan. So in Azerbaijan, um, there is a breakaway country in there, filled with Armenians. The <laughs> sorry, Marshall Landbridge. I'm dying. Sorry, <laughs> Marshall. Marshall Maddox says, and they're gonna build a land bridge across it. Uh, just awesome. <laughs> somebody, somebody listens frequently. Sorry, the, the land, the, the land bridge. bridge. <laughs> um. Oh, so, in, so they have this these fu- this fucking pipeline. This um. Fucking... So this country was this was a this was a Soviet Union country for for about seven decades right and there had been a large population in a region called nagorno karabakh in azerbaijan in the middle of the mountains and when the soviet union fell there was always disputes over this area but when the when the when the soviet union fell in 1988 um a a basically a separatist movement started um, after both Armenia and Azerbaijan declared dependent, or they were didn't dec- they were they became independent from the Soviet Union once they dissolved themselves. Um, 
And then this area had Nagorno-Karabakh had a mixed population of both Azeris and Shia Muslim and Armenian Christians. And I guess just like every other country that, well, not every other country, but most countries in the Soviet Union after they broke out, a big flavor of ethnic nationalism happened. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise, because the countries were basically, um, they didn't really have a state history. Right. You know, they were just satellite countries. So that happens when you, there is no state history. Ethnic groups start getting very, uh, kind of popular antsy mm-hmm. antsy just look at yugoslavian war music <laughs> look at the look at the war music of the of yugoslavia oh, man. and it's funny. like the most ridiculous music videos from from uh like serbs uh <laughs> croats uh they're just look up yugoslavian patriot music war music and it's it's actually legitimately pretty funny it's pretty funny it, that gives you a breakdown of what um the, the type of media that was being consumed in those states at that time um but these kind of, so a war broke out there's been a peace treaty since 1994 um that that um kind of put the lid on things but now fighting has broke out again and a hundred people, over a hundred people at this point have been killed. Um, the last time I looked at like the casualties was actually earlier in the week. So I'm assuming more than that, unless fighting has stopped. And what's really alarming is that both countries are Armenia and, and Azerbaijan are fighting right now over this, over this piece of land. Right. They're fighting, they're shooting artillery into each other's countries over each other's borders. So they're not, it's not limited to just one conflict zone. Right. I mean, they've been in that region. Time, so. Yeah, in that region, Turkey's backed by as is um, Azerbaijan is backed by Turkey. Um, mm-hmm. They have a very good relationship, be, mainly because of the pipeline right. um, order. And then Russia backs both countries. They sell arms to both Azerbaijan and they sell arms to Armenia. But they have a tilt towards uh, Armenia because they have a defense treaty. They also they also have a, a, a military base there too. So they also have a military base there as well. Yeah, and it's strange because Azerbaijan is due to start piping uh, piping gas to the EU. Um, I think in this year, and it's really weird it's that strange. this decades-old conflict starts to flare up right before they're about the they're about to start piping in gas. Doesn't sound it doesn't sound strange at all. It doesn't sound so, I guess in theory that it could disrupt the oil and gas flow from Azerbaijan since the, the pipeline there is called the BTC pipeline. Mm-hmm. It runs only 10 miles away from where the fighting is taking place. But I guess luckily oil markets haven't really been hit yet. And I guess that's due to COVID-19 because all the oil markets are um, all, all the oil producers have so much spare capacity uh, because because of the, the the massive decline in, in uh, consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's really hard to destroy oil pipelines, believe it or not, because they're buried really deep underground. Right, and they're they're built pretty strong because they have to withstand, like, a bunch of geological events and shit. Yeah, they're... This is, we're they're talking buried. about trillion-dollar industry. Like, they're not... They're they're spent taking time to, to build this shit, right? At least in most so cases. Ar- Armenia can't just start shooting pipelines because then... 
just get nuked. <laughs> by who? <laughs> it's by somebody. Yeah. I mean, look, Probably. follow the money. Obviously, this is like a money play, right? Somebody's mad that they're not getting money out of the pipeline, and that's why they're having this little skirmish. Well, there was a flare-up a couple of years ago as well. Mm-hmm. There's, there's like, always some flare-ups, but this is the most intense one. Right. Um, you'll find this interesting. A uh, Allegedly, a, allegedly. A, uh, a Su-25 was shot down by F-16. Really? In the area? Yeah. Yeah, so it the uh, it was an Armenian Su twenty five was shot down by a, well, it had to be a Turkish F sixteen because they're the only ones around there that have them. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty interesting. I I think I'll, I'll read more about that, but it was a confirmed F sixteen or just like an F series fighter. I don't know. That's what Armenia is saying. It's un, it's not confirmed yet, but mm. that's what they're claiming. They're saying an F sixteen shot down a Su twenty five, and they're pinpointing Turkey of being the ones who did it because they're the only ones that had the f-16 yeah i mean in that it, area. It, it would be obvious that it would be turkey if it was an f-16 but if it was a different f model and they just miscategorized it because they they couldn't properly identify which one it was then that might change because like who else would have a more advanced f fighter in that particular with a stake to that particular region um i mean you know, well, I mean, Israel is probably is backing um, Azerbaijan as well because they're in that pipeline order. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, most likely is Turkey because Turkey. This is already doesn't Turkey have F thirty five too now? Though I don't know if that deals went through yet. Mm. I don't think they've actually made the purchase so that the F thirty five like they maybe maybe they have and I just haven't been paying attention. But I didn't know that. Like I think that. That maybe the ink was sold, but the, they they sell those things in squadrons, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they sell them in whatever size the squadron is, it, and then it's like Costco. You know, pay, you can't just buy one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't just buy one. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Like if they have them or what. I, I don't follow it that closely, but um, I mean, uh, uh, other interesting points. Marshall bringing up a few of them that you know Turkey has a um, you know kind of beef with the Armenians in general because they've. There's the whole Armenian well, genocide thing because you know? they refuse. They still <laughs> you know? refuse to to recognize the Armenian genocide. Right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. What? What genocide? Of, what genocide? What? Yeah. Uh, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, we were all on vacation. Are, they're like, well, listen, like, we didn't actually genocide them. We just made them go through a death march in a desert. That doesn't count. <laughs> Because that's, that's like what they did. Yep. They, it was just forced... Um, forced terrible eth- It was ethnic cleansing into the desert. Right. Which Where ki- everyone which just killed died. Them. Which killed them. Which killed them. It's like in Batman 3. It's like exile or death. Mm-hmm. Or death or exile. What was the, Do you remember Dark Knight Rising? Yep. And then he's like, death by exile. That's what it was. It was Batman. Yeah. It was it was Dark Knight Rising all over again. Well, the inspiration for. And I've apparent. I mean, apparently, two million people died. I don't know what the exact count is, but it's, it seems it seems to be a, a lot of people were were killed in that incident. And um, I guess we always say in that part of the world, but I you know, and, and it's I guess it's hard to forget about things like that. I guess they're kind of ingrained. 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know about society. you, but I only learned about the Armenian genocide probably like maybe. Well, I'm not talking about ago. us. <laughs> like, I'm talking. I'm not talking about us. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like people don't like the people. Armenians aren't. Don't forget it. Right, dude. I don't. My family. My mom's side of the family is very Irish, mm-hmm. and. We still talk about talk about Oliver Cromwell, <laughs> like he's still alive and he's a bastard that needs to be taken care of, and he's the most evil person ever. Like Oliver Cromwell is still a subject of conversation in my Irish Catholic family. Like oh, that Oliver Cromwell, you know, he murdered so many. Like, so it's that was four hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was, bef- was four hundred years ago that happened, and he was post. Posthumously, posthumously, hung. I think. What they hung him after the fact? Some, 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 I forget the exact like, story. Like ceremoniously they, or actually they, like, took a corpse. And they hung ceremoniously. Him. I don't know if they actually took his corpse out, but they were like, "This person deserves to die, so we're going to have a little play about him being hung or something like that." But that's fucking you know, morbid. It was, he's very, he's very disliked in Irish culture. Um. But the most the funniest thing about this entire entire situation is that Turkey is sending soldiers there, but not soldiers. Soldiers, they're but sending, not soldiers. They're sending moderate rebels <laughs> from Syria to the border to fight. And here's the kicker: Wait, that weren't they the sending the same hilarious. moderate rebels to Lebanon too? From they Syria? sent them to, to Egypt. To Egypt, excuse me, yeah. But here's a fun. Here's the kicker. It makes everything just hilarious. Azerbaijan is about ninety three percent Shia. Yeah, so that's not going to work. So <laughs> you're taking you're taking the Sunni moderate rebels who are killing people who are not Wahhabi, and you're throwing them into a Shia place. To, to a Shia-majority country to protect their borders. That's not going to work out very well. When do these extreme guys, these these extreme takfiri, ta- like these, these really hardcore Islamist groups, when will they understand that they're nothing but cannon fodder to states that use them? For their own game, like I, someone needs to tell these these kids who go and they travel to to whatever country, or if they're even if they're from Syria, that they're straight up just being used I as mean, cannon fodder. I mean, the sad part, Henry, is that I bet they know, and that they're just so ingrained in that ideology that they don't care. It, it Syria is basically like Saudi Arabia uses Sudan as kind of just like. A place where they recruit mercenaries right. and child soldiers cut to fight in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Turkey just uses Syria at this point. It's like this is just the failed state in our backyard that we help produce, mm-hmm. and we're just going to recruit like basically the people who are starving. I mean, but they got to run out of people of, eventually, right? Like that shit. Syria is somewhat big. It's there's a lot of people who live in Syria. Yeah, um, but in Idlib specifically, they they're losing a lot of ground. You know. To to um, Assad and, and Russia, for that matter, they they don't hold as much territory as they used to. They don't hold that much territory, but they still have territory there, and I mean they have they have they still have tens of thousands of, of soldiers there, 
and like I don't. They just kind so, of they they cal- recruit these Caliphate 2.0 in Azerbaijan. No, it's not going to come to that. They're just these guys are just cannon fodder. There's only two thousand of them apparently, but it's still um, a lot of people, dude. It's still it's still a lot of people, but like it's not gonna. It's not a sizable force to to establish a caliphate, and like you don't know if these guys are actual like hell bent on <laughs> hell bent on like creating a caliphate there i doubt they are i mean they're they're obviously just mercenaries like they're being paid they're they're non-state um contractors like they're basically kind of blackwater at this point yeah well i'm sure you know, that's how the obama private... i'm sure that's how the obama administration felt about the moderate rebels in, in syria when they first started but, so <laughs> but it's at this point, though, this has been years, a decade almost, of of this going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 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 either just like this is their problem. Their only means for any type of income at this point is fighting, is taking a paycheck from Turkey that is um, minimal to go fight across the world. Because you know, once you're, once you start choosing mercenary as a career choice, then a lot of times there's not many many options for you for i mean there's not that many options in syria in general right <laughs> you, now can, you can't really me. write, write that on your linkedin moderate. mercenary <laughs> you know like that's not a very good line item for your resume but i mean i feel bad for these people because they're victims at the same time yeah right now like yeah. yeah these people these people are victims um not all of them are doing atrocities um at it's just it's sad. it's just like a sad thing to read about and uh, and to hear about mm-hmm. like yeah like i i always these uh these people who are kind of just like i don't think that they have um much it like foresight or future they're 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 used um in a lot of cases they they use uh the guise of kind of religious higher purpose and theology to 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 guide their decision make them, making to make that to make them feel like they're in some type of group right um that they have support in and then they're just used to to go go off and fight for and die either, either a prince or a i guess a sultan in in uh, erdogan's case at this point <laughs> i think at this point i think at this point erdogan considers himself a sultan right pseudo sultan um a pseudo a pseudo sultan yeah that guy's a, yeah. all right all right well all right that's... that was an explosive episode yep so uh we've got some 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 plugging to do right henry oh yeah so um thank you for reminding me so we are this is probably the third or fourth time we've done this but this time i swear we're, we're really trying to do this right so we're back on Patreon. Um, we are setting up a. We, we've already set up a Slack for Patreon, and it's actually really fun. It's it's we're putting people. We we uh, basically we're just talking uh, on Slack and uh, talking about the show, just anything ideas, politics in general, fun stuff, ideas, yeah. fun stuff, uh, networking. Yep. Um, it's it's we're trying to build the slack up so um patreon will send you an invite um just a dollar a month for for that 
and then there's three other tier there's uh there's a three and a five dollar tier as well um whatever you want um we just think we i mean we just obviously love the fact that you listen in the first place and then the other thing we'll be releasing new content on patreon again i sound like a broken record but we are actually in the process of building this new content out and it's gonna be um, cool it's gonna be it's gonna be cool it's it's gonna be if you're interested in the stuff that we talk about then um i'm assuming yeah if you're interested in the stuff that we talk about then you're gonna like it mm-hmm. um but yeah we're, we're we're working on some some uh some other podcast that um i guess you can either say supplement bro history or that are that are entirely we're working on some other projects i'll just put it that way um so we'll be putting that on patreon uh, at least at, at the very least uh at the beginning when we're when we're when we're releasing these and then um yeah just remember the rate and review the podcast if you're listening on itunes um if you're on youtube subscribe to the channel like the video all that stuff um it helps the, the youtube channel grow um help the youtube channel grow we want to try to grow that too and then yeah is there anything else that we need to plug in not today but yeah looking forward to chatting with you on on slack all right all right everyone peace peace Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.